0: If you would take out of your bulletins the uh, little white inserts, the um, Heidelberg Catechism questions, there are three of them on there, Lord's Day 3, Heidelberg Catechism questions 6 through 8, and we'll read these responsively. I'll read the question and you read. The answer. <clears throat> Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? From where, then, proceeds this depravity of human nature? nature are Are we, then, so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 of that first chapter, and following the reading of Scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you uh, there in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And so all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. As we've been reflecting on the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism as a Uh, reflection of the teaching of the church in various areas uh, remind you of that very first question and answer what is your only comfort in life and in death and the answer is that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior Jesus Christ he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood well the question that follows that is what do you have to know so that you having this comfort may live and die happily and there were the three things you have to know your sin and misery you have to know how to be delivered from your sin and misery and you need to know how to Give gratitude to God for such deliverance. Well, we've been working on how do we know our sin and misery? And the Lord's Day number two covered that first couple questions. How do we know our sin and misery? By the law of God. Law, the law of God, specifically the Mosaic law, but also of the law of God as all the word of God. It communicates to us and describes for us our sin and misery and tells us about it. <clears throat> the, the section we're looking at today, Lord's Day 3, which is about the origin of our sin and our misery. Because we, we read about that comfort and we read about that yet we're miserable. And the question is, well, is that where, is that where, where did it begin did, did we start out miserable? Is that Were, were, were we in misery from the very beginning of, of time? Where did it come from? How did it begin? And so the, the question number six is the beginning to ask the question. It's focused on uh, where did it all start? Where did we start? And it asks the question, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? In other words, did God create us? In misery and sin? And the answer is an adamant, by no means. Absolutely not. That's not how we were created. Uh, God created us, as we read in Genesis 1, very good. We were without sin. Uh, We had no tendency towards sin really no inclination to sin wouldn't it be great to be able to wake up one day and not have sinful thoughts flood our minds or the tempter come to flood us with thoughts of sinful things to do to just wake up and love God without anything in the way well that's what eternity will be like that will be a wonderful time where we won't have any of those inclinations, but Adam and Eve didn't have any of those. They were without sin, no inclinations to sin. They had the ability to choose whether they would follow God or not follow God, but they had no inclination by nature not to follow God. And so they they were in a, a beautiful, blissful Situation. God created them. They were formed out of the dust of the earth, and God breathed into them the breath of life. But we, they, we were, they were, and we are as their children. As God said, Let us make man in our image. We were created in the image of God. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? We know that we were an immediate creation by God. What does it mean that we were created in the image of God? Well, this question gives us some of the answers. God created man good after his own image. And here's some of the description. In true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God is creator. So we see righteousness and holiness is part of what it means to be in the image of God. Knowing our creator. I want to take you to another um, catechism to kind of have an interaction with this, turn in your, take your hymnals, if you would, and turn in the back of your hymnal to page 870. It's the shorter catechism, question 10, on page 870, where it also answers the question, how did God create us? So question 10 is, how did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. <clears throat> and blending the two answers together, there are, we could focus on three particular qualities of the image of God in us. The first is knowledge, our understanding, our reasoning ability, our intelligence, our rationality, particularly the knowledge of God, the ability to know God in a full and complete way. But we were created to have a reasoning capacity, a knowledge, an understanding that's our thinking part of the image of God in us. Uh, A second quality we're it brings together holiness and righteousness, as we were created to be moral creatures. We know right from wrong. We were implanted with a conscience by our very creation in the image of God. We had the law of God implanted within us. So we know in our conscience, and even though our consciences are, are burdened with sin, even now there's still a conscience in us that tells us and identifies right from wrong. We're moral creatures. Uh, We were created with holiness and righteousness. We were created to have dominion over all the creatures. We were created to have responsibility. We're responsible creatures. Uh, We have a stewardship and a management of this created world that God has given to us. That's part of our being created in the image of God. We're responsible. We're we're to manage what we have, what we've been given for God's glory. And so these three characteristics, among others that we could list, are a reminder of how we're to mirror image God and his his creativity, God and his character. And it includes happiness, pleasantness, and uh, enjoyment and all of that. When we talk about the characteristics of God, his um, attributes, we divide them into two categories. The incommunicable attributes, those that are totally unique to him, and his communicable attributes, those attributes in which we mirror him. And um, the Shorter Catechism, I don't know if your hymnals are still open to that, but um, to the Shorter Catechism, the Shorter Catechism question four is a marvelous and wonderful question and answer. And I commend it to all of you to memorize it. Um, It's worth having in your head all your life. But it asks the question, what is God? And the answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Those are the characteristics that are unique to God. We would add to it something like omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. But he's infinite, eternal, and he's unchangeable. Those are his incommunicable attributes. We don't share those with him at all. We don't mirror those at all. Those are uniquely him. But then it continues. He's a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All of those characteristics, we mirror him. We mirror him in wisdom, we mirror him in goodness. We mirror him in justice, in power. It's all limited. It's all under God's sovereign control in truth. And you and I are called to pattern our lives, to, to live out our lives as those who are created in the image of God. <clears throat> now, we're going to get into what caused the problem, but let's turn to two New Testament passages We know that image was marred, but turn first to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, where this image is reflected and by grace being renewed and restored. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, says, Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. By grace, you're being renewed in that knowledge in the image of your creator. And then turn back to a couple of books back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so again, by grace, we're being renewed as moral creatures in true righteousness and holiness. And so we have this great description that we were created in the image of God. And uh, to come back to the catechism question or answer in a moment. For what reason that we might rightly know his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. If you ever have the question come through your mind, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Well, here it is. The reason you're here is to know God. The reason you are here is to heartily love him. The reason you're here, your purpose in life, is to live with him in eternal happiness. The reason you're here is to glorify and praise him as a reasoning creature, as a moral creature, as a responsible creature. That's your calling, that's your purpose in all of your life. Everything you do is to be devoted to the Lord. And so young people and children, when you're studying your reading, when you're studying your math, When you're studying your science, why are you doing that? Make mom and dad happy? Well, that's okay to get a good grade. Well, that's, that's okay too, but that's not why you're doing it. Why are you doing that? Why are you learning those things? It's to glorify God. It's to please God. It's to be a good steward of what God has given you and all of the various careers that are represented here, all the different interests and hobbies and passions, all of the things that you're involved with, why are you here? Why are you doing that? And so that you might live with God in eternal happiness and glorify Him, give praise to Him. That's why you're doing it. You have a reason God has you here, that you have a purpose, Don't ever think you don't have a purpose. Sometimes in our discouragement, we'll think that. Don't ever think that. God has a purpose for you, and here it is. But what happened? Something happened, because we know we're a mess. We know that all of what those images are that that describe that image in us is, is... distorted it's marred it's like a great sculpture that someone has thrown garbage on or perhaps taken a hammer and broken off a part of the statue it's a it was a beautiful perfect a wonderful piece of art and it became marred and it became damaged and that's what we are we're marred and damaged why how did that happen what happened well the next question reflects on that with us. Whence then proceeds this depravity of our human nature? And the answer from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. And the account of this happening is in Genesis chapter 3. And in that chapter we read about how the fall of of man uh, took place when God created the angels, he created these spiritual beings that were that God had ordained to uh, not help him in the sense that God is helpless but in the sense that they had a position of a, of serving the Lord and managing the creation that God was going to make, and one of the probably one of the the grandest of the angel beings that God created was um, this person that came to be known as Satan, the accuser, the adversary. His fall is described in Revelation chapter 12. And he became proud and arrogant and made war against the Almighty and he was thrown down to the earth. And it's his ambition, it's his plan, it's his desire to overthrow all that God has done. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan came in the form of a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve. Uh, He's talking to Eve, but Adam, we see, we learn, is standing right there beside her. Adam abandoned his responsibility of headship from the get-go. The serpent is interviewing Eve and what he does is he begins to question God's word. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from this tree of the garden? And Eve shouldn't have even dialogued with him at all. she should have just told him, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. She starts the she gets engaged with him. Well, God said we shouldn't eat of the tree we, and we can't even touch it. And She expands God's command. He had given him every tree in the garden except one prohibition. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And he, he engages her in this dialogue and she begins to question the word of God. Then she begins begins to be critical of the word of God. And then she begins to doubt the goodness of God. The core of all of our sins, the core of every sin that we commit, is that we doubt the goodness of God. That was Satan's temptation. If God were really good... He wouldn't want to deprive you of this. He'd want you to have it. We see the commands of God, his commands to do certain things, his commands not to do certain things. And in our sinfulness, we think, if God really loved us, he'd let us do that. If God really loved us, if he was really good, he wouldn't make us do that. And the core of every sin that we commit is is at root that we doubt the goodness of God. Because when we know that he is good, then we know that he wouldn't say no to anything that wasn't for my best. Or he wouldn't tell me to do anything that wasn't in my best interests. But Adam and Eve gave in to pride. They wanted to decide what was good and evil. Now what that means when it says they came to the, they wanted to eat of this tree and they had the knowledge of good and evil, it doesn't mean that they didn't know what was right and wrong already. They did. They were created in the image of God. They had righteousness and holiness. They knew what was right and they knew what was wrong. But the problem was they hadn't decided that. They wanted to be the Lord's. They wanted to decide for themselves what, they, what was right and what was wrong. And so, in pride, in <clears throat> unbelief, contempt, in gratitude for all that God had given them, they took of the fruit and they plunged themselves. And all their posterity into darkness, into the corruption of our sinful nature. Zacharias or Sinus, who authored this catechism, he says, Why did God decree this, permit this? He gives, he gives three thoughts. He says, First, that he might furnish an exhibition of the weakness of the creature when left to himself and not preserved in original righteousness by his creator. Secondly, that by this occasion God might display his goodness and mercy and grace in saving <clears throat> through Christ all them that believe. That's looking ahead to the, and down the road of the story, but it's The fall came so we would ultimately look to Christ and Christ alone. Thirdly, that God might manifest his justice and power in punishing the wicked and reprobate for their sins. But man fell into depravity, and the consequence of that depravity or the description of that depravity is in question eight. Are then we so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? And the answer is, indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's bad news. And that's news that men don't like at all. You didn't like it. I didn't like it. We don't like that. But it's true. The Westminster Confession talks about our condition after the fall. Man by, his fall uh, man by his fall into a state of sin has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man being altogether averse from good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 3, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. We read this last week, but it's good to revisit it here. Romans 3, verse 10, he's quoting from the Psalms. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. (coughs) There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. (coughs) The poison of of, poison of, of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we see in that list the, cor- the corruption of those three traits we focused on earlier. Uh, man, as a thinking creature, this is, has a sinful mind, no one understands. Our minds are corrupt, our thinking's corrupt, always thinking in the wrong direction. Our moral nature has been corrupted. None are righteous, no, not one. Uh, There's no, our moral um, fabric has been torn. Our responsible nature, our will, no one does good. Good. Our the image of God in us has been completely defaced. And it's only a work of God that's going to re- recover it, restore it. And as we think about the depravity of our nature, sometimes we don't like the what's in this question and answer. What depravity is not, what total depravity is not, is it's not absolute depravity. That is, it doesn't mean that every person is as bad as they could possibly be. Because we know very well that there are some people who are far worse than other people. There are some people who the progress of sin in their life has developed much more fully and completely. The point of it is, not that we're as bad as we could possibly be, the point of it is that every part of our being is contaminated by sin. It's like putting a drop of poison in a glass of water. I mean, it's only a drop of poison. It's only eating a fruit, a piece of fruit. Certainly, that can't be that much, cause that much trouble, but the problem is it contaminates the whole thing. If you saw me put poison, as little poison as I could, in a glass of water, you would not drink from it. Or if you were sane, you wouldn't drink from it. And it's not, we're not saying that man cannot do anything good in the sense of a relative sense or a civil sense or a social sense. <clears throat> there are many unconverted men who are good fathers and good husbands and good workers and neighbors. or many women who are unconverted who love their children and they care for them. But the problem is... Everything they do, like everything we do, is contaminated by sin. In the King James Version in Proverbs 21.4, it says that even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Does that mean plowing is sin? No, of course not. Plowing is a good thing. You need to do it. <clears throat> the problem is the, the unconverted farmer is doing it simply for himself. He's not doing it also for the glory of God. Everything's contaminated by our sin. And so it brings us to the reality of knowing and understanding how desperately we need God's grace. How desperately we need the work of God's grace in our hearts or in our lives where we would have no hope. And the wonder of that grace is that God planned and purposed to call a people from every language, nation, people, and tongue to be his own people. And he he ordained that the Lord Jesus Christ would pay the penalty for those sins and the sufferings and death on the cross. He ordained that the Holy Spirit would draw us with the cords of love to, to embrace Christ and love God. God ordained that he would keep his people to the end of their days. He's the solution for the deliverance from our sin and misery and may we look to god and god alone for that hope and that grace amen let us pray heavenly father thank you so much for the wonder of your love we ask oh father that you would please do your work uh, in us <clears throat> help us to see clearly our need in this description of our depravity, and be willing to humble ourselves before you and ultimately look to Christ and Christ alone for our hope. May you do that work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.